How's Work is an unscripted one-time counseling session focused on work. For the purposes of maintaining confidentiality, names, employers, and other identifiable characteristics have been removed. But their voices and their stories are real. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's Insight Assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Some friendships carry an unspoken ethos of loyalty that if we are really in this together, you are not to go ahead without me. In this relationship, there is a she and there is a they. We were friends before we were coworkers, We sort of took the job together. Like it felt kind of like we were starting out kind of as partners. They and I started around the same time. And so from the beginning of working together, there was kind of that negotiation of how can we be most effective and work together at work and also maintain our friendship. And that caused some tension early on. Their friendship started with a deep sense of equality. I would say it really fractured when she was offered a promotion. She hadn't told me that like this was even in the cards, hadn't like checked with me or anything. Instead of feeling like, oh, we're partners, we're in this, like now there's a literal hierarchy. A lot of, a lot of conversations happened around why I took the promotion in the way that I did, why I didn't have conversations with them about the promotion before I took it. And from the moment there is a power differential between them, all of these darker feelings are stewing underneath. There is competition, there is jealousy, there is a sense of betrayal. I think like, I don't trust that she has my back. We also just like, don't know how to communicate. I want to rebuild an actual foundation of trust You know, when we're working well together, it's just so great. It's just very hard when something happens to trigger hard feelings or conflict again. What is hard about this conversation is that they want to preserve their friendship, but because they sit on such profound denial of their disavowed feelings of anger, 
of disloyalty. They're sitting in a very muted state, holding back those very feelings that could shatter their friendship. Tell me, what's the best thing that can come out of our conversation today? What's your wildest dream for a positive outcome? You're asking both of us. Well, you can't speak at the same time, so you can pick <laughs> who starts, but it's a, it's a joint question. I'll just let you know, I use they, them pronouns, just so you know. I do know that, okay. but it's a good reminder. Yeah. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Do you want to go first? Uh, do you want to go first? I can. Um, I think in my wildest dreams, I would leave this session feeling like we can trust each other again. How would trust look like, feel like, sound like? What sorts of things does it say? It says, I see you, I appreciate you, I respect you, and make space for you. When trust is silent, what replaces it? Doubt, fear, self-consciousness shame, confusion. And how do those speak to you? I think distrust speaks to me and it sounds like very final or just very all or nothing um, because trust is foundational. It's huge, right? So to, to not have that to me feels very... It's like a rupture. Can't have a relationship where there is no trust. Yeah. And the entire time you are speaking, they are nodding. Just so you I know you're looking at me. We are on Zoom. Um, but they are nodding. Uh, I don't know if it's their wildest dream, but they are acknowledging Would it be accurate to say that you were acknowledging the precision also of how carefully she chose the descriptives of trust and distrust? Yeah, I think, yeah, acknowledging. I mean, the precision and both, like, I feel those things and I'm not surprised that you feel all of those things. What's your wildest dream for this conversation? What's the best thing that could happen? The thing I wish the most is for us to be, feel like it's possible to be good friends again. You're getting nodding too. You may want to check in with each other every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> so you see that you're the same wavelength. So 
for this conversation, there's just one conversation, there'll be many others that you will have together. But for us, it's a, it's a very simple and profound frame, trust and friendship. So give me a tiny bit of history of this friendship, this work relationship, and what have been its challenges. Okay, well, I would say we've been in each other's lives for about five years. Mm -hmm. Five and a half. Five and a half years. I first met you when you were doing your internship year. Um, and I really admired you and was extremely inspired by you. And I remember being like, I want to lead like that. And that being humble and confident at the same time. And then for me, it turned into a bit of a crush. <laughs> and then that was kind of an exciting time because it solidified something for me, which I think I've been getting signs about, which is I'm queer, gay, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and then it wasn't reciprocated, but it was okay. And I wasn't mad at all because you didn't do anything wrong. I was just sad and I understood. And then I moved on from seeing you in that way. Mm -hmm. But I would say like after that in our friendship, even before we were coworkers, we did some processing around me feeling like I wasn't important to you or like feeling ignored or like you didn't care for the friendship. But then I know you did because you told me that you did and that you just express it in different ways. And that was very helpful. And then we both took the job and yeah, I was both really nervous and I thought I knew it would be like really, really good. But you were nervous about? I was nervous that either that I would like kind of like redevelop feelings of wanting something more than like friendship or the feeling that I'd had before of like, even when it was like purely friendly, that like I would feel like I didn't really matter. And then having to show up to work and navigate that. And what did happen in reality? <laughs> the first month didn't go, it was kind of like that where we got into this weird dynamic where you thought I didn't want you to like show me like affection and appreciation. And so you weren't doing that. And then I was like, you're doing that with others. I guess this is just like a co-working relationship. <laughs> and then your mom died and I was like, what am I doing? You're 
one of the people that I care most about in the entire world. And this is the worst thing. And it's time to get over myself, get my butt to the funeral and like show up. And it brought us back together. Totally. Yeah. This is one of those moments where I have to decide if I'm going to listen for content or listen for affect. And when I track the affect here, I'm hearing everything that is not being said. And part of the dynamic that I perceive here is that they are so invested in wondering how important they are, how much she's paying attention to them, how special they are. And it takes her losing her mother for they to put themselves aside for a moment and actually be there for the friend. Sometimes we get so caught up asking ourselves, is my friend there for me? And we forget to ask ourselves, are we there for our friend? Yeah, I think that happened. But it was right on the heels of this thing that felt like a trust-breaking month, right? Of just like, it felt, to me, that month felt like, you don't want to work with me. It felt like. But can we ask you something? Yeah. Just so I have a, a few other pieces. Um, you were hired for similar roles? Yeah. Laterally or hierarchically? Laterally. Laterally. So you were meant to work together. Yeah, we were hired for very similar roles, kind of like different teams okay. or different projects, but the and same role. Okay. What did you each say or do or not say that led the other person to think they don't want to work with me? To say you don't want to work with me is the conclusion of a whole bunch of behaviors that lead you to that summation? I don't know. I just have this very clear memory of just like walking in the first day into the office. You're just kept working. You just like didn't acknowledge me being there. It felt like we were in the middle of a fight, but we weren't. It, it, it felt like we got off on a foot of tension within the working relationship. But I couldn't discern why or like where it had come from. And let me ask you, because you mentioned the death of your mother. Was it a big loss? Yes. Yeah. So if we put her also in the room and there was a balloon above her head, what would the statement in the balloon be? In this moment? Mm -hmm. As she looks at you grappling with this important relationship that has been a friendship, that has been a work relationship. I think she would say, just say the truth. She was fairly direct person. More than you? 
Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And what holds you back? Fear of hurting somebody or fear of rejection. And then all of those are really deeply seated in the deepest fear, which is that I am actually a bad person. And where is that from? That I do not know. Because it's a fear. You're afraid that if you are too direct, you will hurt people. But you would like to say the truth. But you don't want to be misunderstood or to hurt them or to be rejected by them. So you end up not saying things. But that doesn't mean they don't get expressed in other ways. And that is being said at this point despite yourself. And so in the end, you end up hurting when everything you were hoping to do was just the opposite. That feels very accurate. I'm just watching you smile. Yeah, that feels true. I've been a bad friend for what is often is the, a part of the sentence that says, when in fact I was trying so hard not to do the very thing which I ended up doing. Yeah, I think the reality is I don't always bring forward or name how I'm feeling or issues or just like the truth of a situation because I think it will cause more problems or pain or hurt. But in reality, that manifests in other ways, unspoken or actions unspoken or things that are spoken, but not truth that end up causing pain or hurt or harm in a way that I in no way want or intend because I care about you and I don't want to hurt you. And as she says it, she's doing it. This is an enactment of the very thing that she says she otherwise does, she's actually doing right now, which is not to speak her mind. And one senses it in the tempo, in the affect. Her words say, I'm afraid to hurt you. I'm afraid to lose you. Her actions say, I'm going forward. I've been giving this opportunity And my going forward does not mean that you are not important in my life. But she is unable to reconcile these two seeming polarities in the way that she handles her friendship with Day. How are you doing? Um, I'm, I'm doing fine. I do want to hear what you want to say. I am holding in my headspace right now the promotion mm -hmm. as like a thing mm -hmm. because it's relevant. Okay. I'm listening. <laughs> <laughs> In my head, we like started this job together, even though this was my very first professional organizing job and you had two years being in the professional organizing world. And 
you'd mentioned very casually that, oh, in your most recent like yearly check-in, you got some news, like it's no big deal. <laughs> We've played different roles at the organization and I have tended to kind of really speak out about things and my two-year check-in, I got told I had to be more respectful. <laughs> so I was already comparing myself and you told me that you were being promoted to lead organizer because you're going to be like moving into a supervisor role and that you as a woman in this field, like promotions don't come often. And so you had to take it. And some painful things were said to me from the higher up, such as, me and you could never do ever what she does in a day. And she's just growing at this unusual rate. And I just, we just had no choice but to give her this promotion. It, it devastated me and I was so mad at the kind of people above me who had said these things and made these decisions. In the back of my mind, I was thinking like, just the truth is like if the roles had been reversed and I'd been offered a promotion, if I, I think that I would have talked to you about it and this isn't the professionally smart thing to do, but I was like, I would have talked to you about it, seen how it made you feel. And if it would have made you feel bad, I wouldn't, I don't think I would have taken it. I totally understand why you didn't talk to me about it because then that opens up the possibility for me to say no, and it's your life. But how do you interpret, I would not have accepted the promotion if I knew it upset you? My, our friendship is more important to me than this job. In friendship, there sometimes is an unspoken ethos that if we are in this together, we should be marching through the stages of life together too. And this horizontal line that was supposed to determine their friendship switched when one of them got promoted. And with promotion comes power, comes hierarchy, comes dependency, all transactions between them that unsettled this whole relationship. Sometimes we live our relationships with a sense of scarcity in which we experience one person's win as the other person's loss. We all have to confront our scarcity mentality when we are in the workplace with colleagues and especially when these colleagues are our closest friends. You know, you said, like, this is your woman in this field. You just have to do this. And some of the things you also said to me is, like, you didn't really think about, like, what the name of the title would do. And, like, you, you didn't really think about the power dynamics. And that was also hard to hear because it was, like, how could you not think about that? Say more about the power dynamic. 
all of a sudden we weren't a team of equals. We were a team of like, you're the superstar and the go-to person and the way you're doing it is the best way. And then also like, yeah, you living with both a coworker and a person that I kind of supervise. Like, I don't know why I feel so numb. It might be because of like shame around the feelings I have, but I know all these things are true. So I'm like saying them, but it's kind of a weird experience. I understand now better what was underneath the affect. And it was that sense of shame over those repudiated emotions, in particular jealousy. It does taunt us at our most vulnerable, the sense of you more worthy than me and therefore you were recognized. And that sense of humiliation and self-doubt that's what is really standing in between these two. All in all, it all comes to one particular point, and that is how important am I to you? And so what I'm imagining is that some of the drama that gets created it's in order to establish, am I your friend? How much of a friend am I to you? Do you agree with the other people here that I wasn't as good as you? So that when you say, my goal today is friendship, it's to, to restore that sense of, of unity, of togetherness. And when I hear you say, my goal for today is to restore trust. I hear it more in the sense of how do I go about doing things that are good for me without immediately having to worry that they are bad for you? Does that resonate, first of all? It feels true to me. Yeah. But you were just talking about the effect of promotion coupled with her co-living with other people who are also on the team and you were stacking the deck. So keep going. It was already kind of hard before even COVID hit to be in this tension. And we had like kind of stopped hanging out and I was witnessing you becoming like closer and have just like more public inside jokes with our coworker that you live with. And then COVID hit and I think it just made everything harder for me because, I mean, it was such a vulnerable time, but like seeing you two come on the screen and I feel like you're much more of a teammate with your housemate and it's so public and you talk about it and you were, you were all working on this campaign together, other of your housemates and I've been working on the same campaign by myself. <laughs> so I think I've felt like I'm losing you and it's, you don't, care because you're like with other great people and you don't have to leave your house for 
friendship. Sometimes in the workplace, when we think about boundary issues between colleagues, I'm reminded of middle school, but I'm also reminded of my middle school. It's like the friend who is willing to play with me when we are alone, but when they are with their other friends, they don't pay attention to me. And it feels very raw and very unprofessional to bring those things up but that doesn't mean that they're not there. This is everyday occurrence in many workplaces. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. So now let's start from the place where you haven't gone. And this includes profound questions about our friendship, profound questions about should we stay working in the same place, profound questions about how much do we really support each other, is there room for both of us here, and how? And how do we step out of a kind of a bind that we are in at this moment in which any of these independent steps are fraught? When you tell the story of I watch you there with all these people with whom you're having fun and it's all, you know, you don't need me anymore. You don't want to hurt me, but I'm not sure you still like me, need me, want me. It's that. So... If we go further with the goal of how do we restore the trust and can we reclaim our friendship? What needs to happen that you haven't done? Yeah, I'm thinking two things. One, I guess I already did ask you, like, did you think of me? when you were asked around the promotion. So we don't have to talk about that again. Um, But did you think of me in what way? Did you think of of telling me before you got it? 
Where I took it. Yeah. Where I took it. I mean, this is actually not really a question. You've already said. If it had been reversed, I would first have thought of you. And if it didn't sit right with you, or if it would create friction between us, I would have chosen friendship over individual achievement. And you didn't. This is not a neutral question. So she may have thought about you, but not from the same place as you. Yeah, it wasn't a neutral question. And it's like, and I guess that's the exact, like, yeah, you didn't think of talking to me about it. Like you didn't question taking it because of me, which is exactly the dynamic you're drawing out, which is like autonomy, not being a bad thing, but like autonomy and togetherness. So I feel like, okay, that just feels hard. <laughs> so that feels hard. But you translate that into you're more important to me than I am to you. Yeah. I don't know that this is a useful division, you know, to pin them against each other like that. But your question repeatedly is how important am I in your life? That is not a good friendship question, by the way. It makes the friendship very imbalanced. And you're asking them to demonstrate to you that they value your individuality. What of this is familiar to each of you in light of other relationships that you've had, other important relationships? What do you recognize here? I like the smile. <laughs> You have a complicit smile that says, oh, I, I know a few things about this. <laughs> the smile of recognition. <laughs> this is the moment where I want to go beyond the analysis of their own friendship into their formative experiences in their families to explore more the tension between attachment and authenticity. Because they says, and says it with awareness, prove to me that I matter by sacrificing your authenticity in the name of our attachment. And it is a fusional choice. To choose the promotion is the choice of differentiation. To choose the friendship above the promotion, which of course in the context of work does not really make sense, is a choice of fusion and enmeshment. Yeah, I think it's definitely a familiar feeling of wanting to feel or like struggling with feeling important in my relationships. And then I like play a certain role. Say more. <sighs> feeling kind of unstable in the relationship at times when I don't have like demonstrations of importance. Like I'm aware that I, I have some like distortion 
of like knowing I'm really valued and matter, like my body feeling like threatened when I feel like I'm not getting signs that that's true. And when you trace the history of this pattern? I don't know, my family, I have, we're five and I have an older brother who is on the autistic spectrum and then I'm second to him. Uh, yeah, my, my sister was always kind of like, my younger sister was always kind of like, I viewed her as being kind of in the popular group and always kind of felt a little bit like a weirdo and kind of out of place in my body and the places I inhabited, feeling like I wasn't understanding some sort of social norm. And then having my brother who like, he really didn't have the social norms. Um, Did you struggle at home to experience your significance? I mean, I always felt very lifted up by my parents. Like I felt, you know, like, oh, you're really smart. You know, you're good at this. You're good at math. You're like all these things. And sometimes it's hard to get a word in edgewise with so many people. And I don't know. My, my dear mother, bless her. Um, she was often focused on the group and kind of like absorption and like, how is the group doing? And when I was having like a feeling or something that would be like too big, if I was feeling really sad, it was like, get it together. We have people over, like get it together. What is the smile saying? I'm just wondering if I should keep going. And I, I don't know. I'm sort of just like, I don't know. I don't know. This is a lot. Like, I don't know what to do with all these pieces of information. Part of what you are both doing is seeing what it is that each of you is evoking in the other. And so it's less about the specific feelings themselves as about the intensity of them. They know where this intense need for recognition and affirmation is coming from. And that makes a big difference. Anybody in the workplace, any manager has had to work with some people who ask for too little recognition and some people who sometimes ask for too much. We bring to work these very complex needs that emerge from our childhood histories and that become disguised in a kind of an adult form. Do you ever explore together if you should stay working in the same place? Or do you ever think that if you were not working in the same place, that would destroy the friendship? It's something I've been thinking about. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, in some ways, do feel like it's been so ruptured that you've got your coworkers, you've got your like housemate organizers, you're like supervising, and like you're all like set up 
and and you don't have strong connections with the other people i do but that doesn't come across when you say it the way you just did i mean it feels like you're saying you don't need me anymore you don't need me anymore yeah yeah you don't need me anymore that's a frame when you go that to that place you don't need me anymore you've got everybody else now you've got your title your position your subordinates your housemates you know you have a whole village i don't belong anymore what it induces in the other person is a feeling of obligation that supplants the feeling of love i feel bad do something i don't belong here anymore do something include me and she may do it but you won't experience the juice you'll experience her trying to be good not her free willing voluntary gushing of friendship and collegiality you nodding yeah i mean i think what you are saying feels true from my end of things and because i think what comes up for me when we have the conversations we have is like i am made to feel i sorry no 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 i feel i feel shame around how i'm showing up that i'm not like showing up for you in the way that you need i'm not showing up for you in the way that shows that i care then like going through the motions of showing you yes i care or like yes you matter to me that is very true to me and then it becomes an exercise of how do i externalize that as clearly as possible so that you can see that but it's not it's like an exercise of proof as opposed to like a flowing of our friendship yep and proving means that you have to show evidence and trust is often actually the opposite it's a leap of faith if you have to prove all the time you obviously are not trusting do you understand i probably should leave um i probably should leave I like the work. I jive really well with some other coworkers. And I will just be in a healing process around needing to let go of like the bright-eyed, bushy-tailed dream we had of like we get to work together and we get to like transform this organization. It's not happening. that's so painful to me like i there's like no world in which i want you to leave and i and i've said this before and i think we've talked about this like i just it, like it's kind of incomprehensible to me that we can't figure this out so that we can work together because it you feel necessary to me for this work for this organization like i i haven't done this role without you here before it feels necessary for you to stay for me 
And like, I, I'm like, my heart is racing. Like I feel panic. Like it's, it's like a panic feeling. That's definitely helpful to hear. <laughs> Cause I guess I had a story of like, it would just be better if I did leave because then there would be no drama and you've got people like it would just be better if I so hearing that is interesting well yeah I'm sorry if I didn't if I haven't expressed this enough or clearly enough I think within the context of the work we do together you're just integral to the organization the vision like moving all of us forward collectively and also in the context of just the work you do, I feel inspired and like motivated in my own work by watching you. I can understand it being hard to keep doing the work you're doing and it continuing to not feel good. The work itself is hard. And so to also have it feel bad while you're doing it on top of it being so hard it makes for an unsustainable work environment for you. And I want that to not be the case. And on top of this, like repairing our friendship also. Right. It's like that's like that's like layer, layer, layer. Um, I don't I don't want you to leave and I don't think things get easier for our friendship if you leave either. But that's like, like, I don't like, it just feels like it's all bound up. What's it like to hear all this? I don't know. I think I'm, I'm just not feeling so hopeful. Every time I see you in a meeting, I feel so bad and it's not your fault at all. It's my own reaction. For the record, I don't have anywhere else I would want to go or feel excited about anything else. So I don't know what I would do. I would figure it out. For the record, I don't want you to go. So that's where I'm at. But I'm hearing you saying that might not be enough. I'm thinking about taking some time off. Yeah. Seeing how I feel to kind of get out of being so triggered all the time, which would be ultimately an, an effort to see if I can come back. I'm thinking I might do this really soon. We're ending the session in a very different place of where they both originally said they wanted to go, restoring trust and rebuilding the friendship. And we're talking about a real feminist dilemma that especially she is experiencing, which is that if she pursues her autonomy, her professional aspirations, her individual needs, 
she compromises her relationships and her sense of loyalty. An old dilemma for women, historically, universally. However, Day is also struggling with her own version of the autonomy, which is the permission to leave as a solution to certain relational dilemmas, not in order to end the relationship, but in fact, in order to allow this relationship to become a friendship again. They may not be in the spot that they imagined, but they are certainly in a more honest spot than they have been. Esther Perel is a therapist, best-selling author, speaker, and host of the podcasts Where Should We Begin and How's Work. To apply with a colleague or partner to do a session for the podcast, or to follow along with each episode's show notes, go to howswork.estherperel.com. How's Work is produced by Magnificent Noise for Gimlet and Esther Perel Productions. Our production staff includes Eric Newsom, Eva Walchover, Huatay Gatana and Kristen Muller. Original music and additional production by Paul Schneider. And the executive producers of How's Work are Esther Perel and Jesse Baker. We would also like to thank Lydia Polgreen, Colin Campbell, Courtney Hamilton, Nick Oxenhorn, Sarah Kramer, Jack Saul, and the entire Esther Perel Global Media team. <laughs> <laughs>